Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. For up-to-date information and ways to get involved, please visit us at classiccity.org. Good morning. Hey, good to see you. I hope you're doing really well. If you have a Bible with you, if you were, turn to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Chapter 8 of the book of Romans. Chapter 8 of the book of Romans. And we, uh, last week, started a series. It's kind of a bigger project we're doing. We're going to spend a lot of um, the fall and the winter, spring next year going through our church mission statement, which is we exist as a church to honor the greatness of Jesus Christ by growing spiritually, living authentically, and by participating in his purposes. And so what we're doing is we're going to do a, take each of those four phrases that are part of that mission statement and do five sermons that will help define and clarify that mission statement for us. You know, we talked about honoring the greatness of Jesus. We did five sermons. Last week we're starting about how to grow spiritually. And last week we talked about the key to spiritual growth. And that key is grace. Spiritual growth is all about developing the salvation we experience when we come to Christ. The way Jesus taught it one time was the kingdom of God is like a seed. It's like a mustard seed which someone plants in the ground. And it grows and grows and it just becomes a great, great tree. You know, if you think about an acorn, the Inside that acorn is all the potential and all the capability to become an oak tree. It just needs to get unpacked. It just needs to get nourished. It needs to grow. And this is what happens in our spiritual lives. When we come to Christ, everything is in there. And spiritual growth is just growing and unpacking what God put inside of us when we first came to him. And we're saved by grace. And it simply means grace is God's actions. It's what God does to bring about our salvation. And we found out that grace is not just a factor in our salvation. Grace is the only factor. It is what God did. It is 100% God, zero us. And so we talked about that and we talked about some of the things about it. And you can look at the tape if you'd like. But this week I want to talk about taking another step into spiritual growth. And there's a verse we read uh, from the book of Ezekiel. Uh, in our inspiration, and it's a very important verse in my life. It's from chapter 36, it's verse 25, 26, and 27. And in my, what was going on in Israel in that time is they had failed, they had fallen, they were captive by an evil empire, the Babylonians. And the prophet Ezekiel was speaking to them about hope for the future and what God was going to do in their future. And he has this great vision of a rebuilt temple. He has this great vision of Israel becoming the dominant nation on earth. And it's a very powerful vision. But he talks about something that has to happen within the individuals, within the people of that nation, and that God's going to do. There's a salvation God's going to bring about. And in chapter uh, 36, verse 25, God talks about three things he's going to do for them. Number one, he says, I am going to cleanse you And you will be clean. God is going to clean you. The second thing he says 
is I'm going to make you new. God says, I'm going to put a new heart in you. I'm going to take away the hard heart. I'm going to put in a fresh heart of flesh, and you will be different. I am going to change who you are. You are going to be new on the inside. And then he says the third thing is I'm going to give, send my spirit, and my spirit is going to empower you and enable you to live out what you couldn't live out before. I remember when I was a senior in high school here, I got turned on to the Lord in a really powerful way, my junior year really. In my senior year in high school, I was a, a happy, victorious Christian. It was effective, and it was just a, a wonderful time. And then I went to college, and I got involved with a ministry that seemed great. You know, it emphasized commitment. It was real raw. It was real gung-ho. And we, we believed we were actually the green beret of the kingdom of God. Now, if somebody believes that about themselves, I would encourage you to avoid such a thing. But that's literally what we believed. And, we, and, and what happened is that my faith went from being based on understanding what God had done for me in Christ and letting that fuel my life to trying to live up to these expectations, trying to be the most committed, trying to be the best. And after about a year of that, I was utterly miserable. I was a completely different person spiritually and emotionally than I had been a year before. Now, my spiritual habits were the same. I read the Bible all the time. I prayed all the time. I shared my faith. But deep inside, there was something really that had just gone wrong. And I, you know, I was 18 years old. I didn't know what that was. And I remember we went to a conference in the summer in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we, we were at it in this evangelist. Uh, missionary evangelist, very famous back in those days, named T.L. Osborne spoke. And I'd heard of this guy. I didn't know much about him, but it was this packed, huge arena. And he preached, and he preached for two hours, the most impactful sermon I ever heard in my life. And I'm going to re-preach that to you now for the next two, no. <laughs> but I'm going to break it up over the next few weeks. But he basically talked about this verse. And he said, these are three gifts God's put within you that he wants to unpack. And he just talked about what it meant to be clean, about what it meant to be new, and about what it meant to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And, and that, it just lifted me. I felt like I felt a year and a half earlier. And I remember I got that tape and I just listened to it. Again and again. I could almost memorize that, that sermon for two hours. I just listened to it again and again and again as a, as a young man. And, and so this is something that I think is very important as we talk about spiritual growth. Is what does it really mean to grow spiritually? And a lot of times we think, well, we just sort of have certain habits and a certain discipline. But I want to talk about what dynamics go on in our lives when we grow spiritually. We make progress spiritually. And the first one I want to talk about is the first one he talks about in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36, verse 25. What does he mean? I will make you clean. I will make you clean. Now, I think sometimes when we think about our sins being forgiven... In America, and then whatever this is, 21st century, I guess. 
You know, what we generally think about is about going to heaven and not going to hell. Like, that's the thing. Like, I don't want to go to hell for my sins. If my sins are forgiven, I'm going to heaven. And that is very true, and that's very important, and I believe in that. But if you were to kind of talk to a Jewish person in Ezekiel's day or Jeremiah's day or the, the days of these prophets when they were talking about forgiveness, they were not thinking as much about heaven and hell. They were thinking more about what their sins were doing to them as a nation, to them as a people. You see, they had a covenant with God. They had an agreement with God. And it, there were certain stipulations to it. God said, if you will do this, do what I say, if you'll look like this, if you'll live like this, if you'll walk this out, if you'll display my character to the nations in this way by living this law out, then here's what I'll do. I'll bless you. And he said things like, and you can read it in Deuteronomy, I'll make you the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. If your enemies come at you one way, they'll flee in seven. There was this sense that God would be with them in a powerful, demonstrative way, and, and that life would just go well. But what happened is that despite all these promises and despite everything that they were told, they just didn't live up to it. They didn't keep their end of the bargain. They never met the stipulations. And they, what would always happen is their cumulative sins would just bring about judgment and would bring about wrong things. And so for them, they just had this thought, if only my, our sins could be wiped away, if only our sins could be gone, if they could only be removed. I mean, we violate this covenant so often. If we, could, if, if, we, if we just didn't violate it, this covenant would be great, but we just keep violating it. And if somehow our sins could be wiped out, they could be gone. Then we could experience the promise and the favor of God. And, we could, and, and that was kind of the way they oriented themselves. And so Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Zechariah and all these prophets talked about a day when God would remove their sin. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 31 talked about how God was going to bring about a new covenant. Remember that old covenant was, had requirements. It had stipulations. You had to do this you know, before this could happen. And he said, there's going to be a covenant coming. And in this covenant, God says, I'm going to wipe away your sins. I will remember them no more. Your sins will not be a factor in how I relate to you. That would be just music to their ears. And God promised to do this. And over and over again, the prophets wrote about this. There's a really powerful chapter uh, in the book of Zechariah, for instance. I'll just give you one. Zechariah is a prophet, and he's 500 years before Christ. And he has this vision, and there's this high priest in, Joshua's day, in, in Zechariah's day named Joshua. And when the priests went before the Lord, they always had to go before the Lord in this glistening white garments. They were, very, they were cleaned, they were pressed, they were kept, you know, they dry cleaned them and they, whatever they did back then, but they kept these garments you know, immaculate, and they would go before the Lord, and it was symbolic of the, the need to be sinless and without sin as you walk into the presence of God. And this high priest Joshua is going to go into the, in this vision, he's going to go before the Lord, and this, this entity called the Satan is there, and he's accusing him. He's telling him, you're too dirty, you're too filthy, 
God won't accept you. God's going to reject you. No, it's not going to go well if you go in there. You're unfit. And this, this, this uh, being is accusing and shaming and blaming this priest who's covered in these garments. And so what happens? God takes these garments of Joshua's. He takes them off and he cleans them till they're perfectly bright. And he puts them back on him. And he's accepted into his presence. And so Zechariah sees this vision. And then the Lord tells him, Zechariah, this is symbolic of something I'm going to do for humanity. And it's going to take me one day. I'm going to do this in one day. In the future, there is a day coming, just one. And what you saw in this vision is going to happen. The being who is blaming, the being who is accusing, the being who is guilting is going to be silenced because of what I will do in this one day. And over and over again, the prophets talked about what it meant to be clean. Israel looked, the people of God looked that one day something was going to happen, a new covenant, that, that, and it was associated with the Messiah. And there was going to be this one day, and all their sins would be removed. They'd be wiped out, and they'd be clean. And so what Paul is doing, as we get into Romans chapter 8, he's interpreting those promises through the lens of what Jesus did on the cross. He's understanding them to be fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ. And so we read this in chapter 8. Let me read it to you. It's just four verses I want to read. Verse 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, let me give you a little background on this, this, these quick, this is three sentences in Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. If you read chapter 7 of the book of Romans... It's a very visceral chapter to read. Paul really goes into himself. He goes into his life. He kind of begins to open up about things he's experienced in himself and there's things you and I will experience in ourselves. And he talks about this. He found himself somebody who wanted to do good. Somebody who wanted to do what was right, who didn't want to do wrong. He said, I still find that though I want to do good, I don't. I still find there are times in my life when the good that I want to do, I don't do, and the sin that I detest, I end up doing. Do you ever feel that way? You know, I, I've had that experience. I know every one of you have. We all have that experience. We think, what's wrong with me? This is what I believe, but this is what I do. 
And again, I know we don't live our lives like that, hopefully, but there are moments in our lives where we, we, we understand this, and what Paul said about himself was pretty profound. In Romans chapter 7, he says, I don't understand myself. I don't understand myself sometimes. How many feel that way today? I don't understand myself. And, and he described himself in the last verse of chapter 7. He says, oh, and he uses this word, wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of death? Oh, wretched man that I am. And the, the, the word literally means in the Greek, it means conflicted. I'm somebody who's in conflict. I'm somebody who's at war. I'm, I am experiencing a battle within myself between what I really want to do and what I really believe and these ideals I have, but what sometimes is happening in my life. And it just, it's bothering me. And this is, what, this is where he was at. But then if you get to the end of chapter 8, you know what he says about himself? He says things like this. If God be for me, who can stand against me? He says, in everything we face, we are more than a conqueror. And he goes on to say, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Now, here's the question we want to ask. What truth is he going to say in this chapter that gets him from feeling conflicted and wretched and confused about himself and defeated and blamed and shamed to somebody who is going, God is for me. How, how, how would that be in life to be able to say with that kind of certainty, God is for me, what can stand against me? To have this kind of certainty that, that no matter what you're going through in life, you are more than a conqueror through him who loves us. To believe that literally nothing can ever separate you from the love of God. To live with that kind of peace and that kind of assurance and that kind of personal empowerment. What happened here? And, and he is going to give us, he is going to basically share with us in verse 4. And then he's going to expound it the rest of the chapter. You can read it on your own. But I want to just go through verse 4. What he's saying here to help us get this. Look at verse 1. He says, therefore now, everybody say the word now. No condemnation. Right now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. What do we mean by condemnation? Well, the, the, the idea there is, is a legal term. It means to be sentenced. And, and what, the way we experience condemnation in our own life is this idea of estrangement from God. That God has sentenced you, that you're, you're separated from him, that he's banished you, that he's displeased with you. It is the idea of blame and shame and guilt. You know, it's when you make a mistake. You're driving in traffic and you think you can go through the red light. And you do it. But the other guy turns and something happens and you get stuck in the middle of traffic. Middle of a light. And you're congestioning four lanes of traffic during the busy rush hour. You feel terrible. But then you know what people do? They just honk their horns. You know, honk the horn. You're sitting there helpless. You're just hearing the blast of the horn. How many of us spiritually, though, that's really what we're going through a lot of times? We've made a dumb mistake, and, and all we can hear 
is the blast of a horn. All we can hear is blame and shame and guilt. And this is what condemnation is. And what it will do to you and I is what it did to Adam when he felt condemnation. He ran away from God. I'm out of here. I don't want. I, I may go through church. I may come to church and go through the religious motions, but I am not going to nurture a relationship with this being who feels this way about me. And what Paul is saying is, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He says the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. Then he goes on here, and he says in verse. Three, for what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by human flesh, God did. Now listen, there is nothing wrong with the law. There's nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. There's nothing wrong with good rules and nothing wrong with the morality of the Bible, is there? Please, like, shake your head. I'm getting worried here. For okay, good. There's nothing wrong with it. In fact, it's great. It's awesome. You know, it, there's nothing wrong with a straight line, is there? There's a straight line right here. There's nothing wrong with a straight line. Is it? Somebody against straight lines? We're not against straight lines. But you know what the problem is? If I was full of alcohol, this straight line that I should be walking would suddenly become what? It'd become a problem. And here's what, here's what Paul's saying. There's nothing wrong with the law. Nothing wrong with the straight line, but it's weakened by the flesh. It's weakened by your condition. It's weakened by, some, by sin that inebriates us and makes us incapable of keeping it. And he goes, there's no way that a covenant with God that has requirements that you be righteous before you can experience the promises of it, there's no way you're ever going to experience the promises. You'll never meet those requirements so he said what happened is what we couldn't do what we couldn't do through the law God did and he did it by sending his son listen Christianity could be summed up in that phrase God did by sending his son God did God did religion is about what you do for God Psychology is about what you do for yourself. Sociology is about what one does for others. But Christianity is about what God does for man. He became, and the Bible says here, he became a sin offering to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. Fulfill every one of them. Listen, Jesus Christ was a great moral teacher, wasn't he? Again, please shake your head. You're going to make me feel better. Yeah, he's a great moral teacher. So he was a revolutionary. Yes, he was. He, was, he, he had aspects of his teachings that, that addressed social issues and justice issues, and we understand that. But Jesus Christ's primary mission was to be an offering for sin. His primary goal was to wipe away humanity's sin so they could have access to God. He was an offering for sin. And he says it in order that um, the righteous requirements of the law. And he uses this word here in verse 4 to describe the kind of salvation you and I are experiencing. He says, it is fully met. Fully met. Fully met. You know, there's, there's a, if, if you read the Bible, you'll see a series of verses that are just so powerful to talk about this. Over and over again. 
You know, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He that knew no sin became sin, that we might be the righteousness of God through him. What a powerful thought. You're the righteousness of God through him. You stand before God righteous and clean. In Colossians it says that he bore our sins in his body on the cross. And through his death we can stand in the presence of God holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. Holy, blameless, beyond reproach. Ephesians 1.4 says we are holy in his sight. Hebrews 10.14 says God is forever perfected those who he's making perfect he has perfected us yet he's also making us perfect jude the book of jude says god is able to make you stand in his presence blameless and with joy inexpressible god is able to do this and what he is saying here is the righteous requirements of the law they are fully met fully met the way that i would say it is you cannot get any cleaner There is literally nothing you or I could do to make us more presentable to God, more accepted in God's sight. It is outside of us to do it. He, the righteous, it's all fully met. It's been done. We can't add to it. We don't add to it at all. The real challenge is this. You can't get any cleaner, but we must do this. We must get clearer that we're already clean. You don't get any cleaner, but you do get clearer that you're already clean. And what I find out is that when we're clear that we're clean, the consequence is the cleaner we're going to live. It's a powerful thing. So how do we do that? How do, we exp- how do I get clear that I'm already clean? Well, there's a really powerful verse in James chapter 1. And James is talking there, and he's talking to these people, and he says, he talks about how we should be a doer of the word, not a hearer only, and he goes through these things, and he says that, he talks about people that, he says, you know, there's some people that if you look in a mirror in the morning, you can look, and you kind of go, not too bad, and you go out, and you just forget what you look like. Anybody, everybody does that every morning, right? You go up, you brush your teeth, you shave, and you just look in the mirror, you say, oh, I'm presentable, and you just, you leave, and you, you're not walking around thinking about what you look like, hopefully. And he says, that's not how it is, though, with your identity spiritually. He says, what I want you to do, he says, I want you to look intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and don't forget, don't forget, Don't forget what you look like. Don't forget what you look like in God's eyes. Don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget. There's a word that the Bible uses to describe Christians. Paul and Peter and all these writers of the Bible, they use it when they're writing to people. And it's a very powerful word when you get into it. It's the word saint. And we think of the word saint, we think of the New Orleans football team or something, or we think of some special Christian. But the, the word saint, if you study where that, the roots of that word, it's very interesting. Back in the ancient days, they would go out and they would dig for metal. And if they found some, a big piece of gold or a big piece of silver, they'd bring it back and they would go through this process. They'd wash it off 
and then they'd beat it with a hammer, and then they'd pound it down, and then they'd heat it up, and they'd go through all these processes to remove all the impurities from it. All the impurities, all the dross, everything that wasn't silver, everything that wasn't gold. And when they finally got to the end of the process, and all the sediment, and all the dirt, and all the trash, and every impurity was gone from that metal, they called it a saint. And this is the picture that the, the New Testament wants you to unite understand ourselves as believers. Where somebody, all the dirt, all the dross, all the impurity has been removed away. You know, another thing that we do is we take communion. You know what Jesus said when you take communion? Remember that his blood was shed. And he uses this word for the remission of sins, the wiping out. The erasing of your sins. This isn't some religious symbol that's kind of cool. This is to really connect you and I to what the, the miracle of what God did for us through Christ. He wiped away our sins. He erased them. It's being clear about that. There was a, a close of this story that I want to tell you. I remember um, years ago when we lived in Atlanta, my wife and I on a Friday we would, on Fridays, a lot of times go to see movies. And we went to go see a really uh, just tremendous, profound movie um, called Shallow Howl. Uh, it's the reason I, I don't go to comedy movies anymore, but Shallow Howl. And it starred a guy named Jack Black and Gwyneth Paltrow, wonderful actors, obviously. Um, and and the, the, the thrust of the story was this. Jack Black played a guy named Hal, and he was shallow. <laughs> Figure that one out, okay, from the title. He was shallow Hal, and what he did, he, he just was very, uh, with women, he just judged them by their looks and by their appearance, and he was just this way. And then, then Gwyneth Paltrow played this other girl, and she wasn't as appealing. And you kind of got the feeling that she sort of believed what society believed about her. You know, people ignored her, people kind of dismissed her, and she was left out, and and, and you could see the effects of her responding to how people treated her, had on her. And then there was Shallow Hal who just ignored her and was chasing whoever. And one day, Shallow Hal was in an elevator with a great motivational speaker named Anthony Robbins. And Anthony Robbins shared some, I don't know what he said. He said something to Shallow Hal. And Shallow Hal, a, a light went off and Shallow Hal was changed and so when Shallow Hal came out of the, the elevator, when he saw Gwyneth Paltrow, she was gorgeous. She was no longer, enough. she was this great, gorgeous girl. And so he chased her around and he pursued her. And Gwyneth Paltrow was kind of like, she never had a guy treat her that way. She was just uncomfortable for her. And what was really interesting as the movie went on is, and I know it's a dumb movie, but there's great theology in this movie. I want you to get this. What happened is her idea of herself began to change. As she began to hear over and over again what this guy thought about her, how this guy saw her, it began to change her. And as his opinion of her began to matter more than everybody else around her's opinion of her. It mattered more than her past opinions about her. It mattered more than anything else. She was changed into a different person. She became a confident person. She became a victorious person. She, be she just became a different person. 
And this is what Christ wants to do in your life and my life. To where what he says about us matters more than what anybody else says about me. What my past says about me. What my failures and my broken background says about me. What he says about me is all that matters. The requirements fully met. That I'm standing before him blameless, with joy inexpressible, holy, unblemished. That I'm his righteousness. When that matters, then you and I become victorious. I remember, again, as a college student, just living my Christian life for a year under this tremendous blame, under this tremendous sense of you can't add up. And I remember reconnecting to the grace of Christ, reconnecting to a God who promised, I will make you clean. I'll do it. I'll do it. Don't do it yourself. I will make you clean, and you will be clean. Believe that about yourself. Believe that. And the conflicted voices, why am I this way? Why do I still? I don't understand myself. Watch them melt into a voice that says, if God be for me, nothing can stand against me. No matter what I face, I'm more than a conqueror. What is there that could separate me from the love of God that's found in Christ? Let's make that journey together. Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the awesome power of your cross. We thank you for the awesome sacrifice that was made and we do believe that there was one day, what Zechariah saw happen 2,000 years ago, there was one day when my garments that were stained and were filthy were taken off and they were replaced with garments that are glistening and bright and clean. And the voice of the accuser was silenced. The condemning voice, the blaming voice, the shaming voice was silenced. And Father, I pray that would happen in the lives of our congregation. Those that are struggling with blame. Those that are struggling with shame and guilt. And they're hearing the noise of condemnation. And it's inhibiting their relationship with you. They may outwardly go through the motions of being at church and Bible study and doing the right thing. But, but there's a real reluctance to know you personally. Because of what they believe, you see. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd make it real to them. What you did on the cross. I pray their conversion would be real to them. I pray that cleansing that they experienced when they made you their Lord and Savior would be real to them, would be pervasive. It would change them. Lord, help us to be clear that we're clean. That we might live out a life that pleases you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.